This is 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. Now to growing concerns about you must stay at home. Total cases in the U.S. now top 8.4 million. The new variant of coronavirus is out of control. I hate you, 2020. Well, that was a pile of crap. I know. However, we did see some amazing tech companies emerge from the crisis. And this podcast is me going around the world talking to founders of these companies. And some of these founder stories are absolutely amazing and can't wait to share them with you. So, from San Francisco to Sydney, my name's Ben Kenwright, introducing the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. And if you enjoy the episode you're about to hear, then please, please hit the subscribe button. We're coming with new episodes weekly. And for now, intro done. Okay, so popping across the pond one more. Today we have a Mr. Matt Bloomberg, who is the co-founder and CEO at Bolster. And Bolster, to read the official strap line, are the on-demand executive talent marketplace, something I'm very interested in because, as you know, I'm a staffing industry nerd, and I've been eagerly anticipating this episode. I mean, I was in it, but you know what I mean. Um, and Matt is not only a 2020 entrepreneur he also wrote the book on it last year so we have lots to talk about and without any further ado welcoming matt bloomberg of bolster mr matt bloomberg how are you i'm good thanks ben how are you i'm good welcome to the 2020 entrepreneurs club you certainly are a 2020 entrepreneur i am i'm proud member card carrying member (laughs) there you go uh so matt whereabouts in the world are you I'm in New York, uh, just outside of New York City, uh, sitting in my home office, which is roughly the same location I've been sitting every day for the last uh, 12 months. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. And uh, I have to ask that really English question. How's the weather? <laughs> um, well, we still have quite a bit of snow blanketing the ground here. Uh, from about two weeks ago, we got over two feet and it just hasn't been warm enough to melt off. So it's actually a nice sunny day today, but it's probably 40 degrees out and Still six inches of snow on the ground, so. Okay, do you know what? No matter how much time I've spent in America, I would never, ever be able to translate Fahrenheit to Celsius. So I'm just going to presume that's quite cold. 40 is uh, four, three. Okay, cold, yes. Sounds like English weather. So, Matt, uh, before we start, just as uh, uh, to warn the listeners, as I always have to do when we have a couple of guys talking about staffing, we are both from the staffing industry. And... Bolster is a brand that's really intriguing me because there's been lots of rec tech and HR tech uh, emerged over the years from job boards down to recruitment marketplaces and everything in between. But not many have tried to conquer the higher end of the market, the exec search, the senior appointments. That seems to still be reserved for the traditional stuffier, well, often stuffier agencies out there. So tell us the premise. You're a very, very seasoned entrepreneur, and we'll come on to that in a second. But rewinding back to March, April last year, when COVID is kicking off, what made you think, I know I'm going to start a company, a tech-led company that's around recruiting exec search people that generally don't get recruited in that manner? Uh, So Bolster was started April of 2020, uh, but the idea had its roots going back a year or two. So it was sort of pre-COVID. I think the pandemic actually has has been timely for the business, which which I think will make sense in a minute. But but we so my team and I had started working on it before. So first of all, my whole founding team at Bolster, there are eight of us co-founders, which is uh, unusual. All of us worked together at our prior company, which was an email marketing uh, technology company called Return Path that I started in 1999 and uh, sold in 2019. 
And this group of eight of us were, uh, you know, sort of core members of the, of the team there. And uh, we really wanted to do another uh, startup and do it together and tackle a different space. And we had a lot of passion around a couple of different things. One was uh, people, very simply. People, talent, culture, values. And in particular, the, the thing that we had spent a lot of time and energy on in the 20 years of building the return path business was really on scaling people. So Return Path went from zero to 100 million and 500 people and 12 offices around the world. And we had an awful lot of people in the business who scaled from zero all the way through the end or from very small all the way through the end. So we were very deliberate about thinking about how we scale teams, how we develop leaders. I spent a lot of time thinking about how I developed myself as a CEO, founder, uh, scaling a business. Spent a lot of time thinking about my board and, and how to make my board sort of an optimal organization for the company. And then I had also spent a lot of time over the years mentoring other CEOs. I wrote a book about that, which uh, you mentioned, which we'll talk about in a bit. And we sort of combined these you know, areas of interest together into building a business that's called Bolster that is aimed at helping early stage and sort of scale up stage CEOs, like venture-backed CEOs, do a better job of scaling their leadership team, scaling themselves, and scaling their board. So we didn't really set out to reinvent executive search. And, and in fact, there are a lot of pieces of executive search that we don't do. We don't do the biggest one, at least at the moment, which is we don't do full-time executive placements. But we've built a marketplace that connects CEOs on one side to executive talent on the other. And it connects them for three different types of work. One type is what I would call, you know, sort of on-demand executive. So it's interim executives, part-time or fractional executives, or executive consultants. The second type of work is advisory, so coaching and mentoring. And then the third type of work is independent uh, board members. And if you think about it, you know, as you're, you're a, a startup CEO yourself, you know, the things that you care about really is you're scaling your business in terms of, of human capital, it's your team, yourself, and your board. And we are uh, connecting startup CEOs to, uh, to talent for really for those three things. So it's not full-time executive placement, but it's kind of everything else that a startup CEO would need. We're also building out a set of tools for startup CEOs, a lot based on, you know, sort of my experience and content that we've developed over the years at uh, companies to, you know, help CEOs better assess their team and themselves and their board benchmark them against other organizations and uh, really help them kind of pinpoint where their needs are for, for executive level staffing. Oh, it's an amazing concept. And I must say, it's, it's certainly original. And yeah, I can see the buy-in from early stage startups because it is, you know, before we press record, we were talking about the overwhelming nature of running a startup or scaling a startup. And your instinct is to reach out and ask for help. And often you just don't know where to ask. So you end up becoming more overwhelmed and piling the work on top of yourself more and more. And it's, sometimes it's not a nice place to be. That's a great way to think about our mission. We want to be there to help startup CEOs when they've got those critical questions. What do I do about X? Who do I go to for X? How do I get something done? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think one thing that's really come out of, well, the importance of something that's come out of COVID has been flexibility. So the biggest thing that we've seen 
in the staffing market is the need for flexible solutions because no one knows what's going to happen in three months time. So we've come out to market with a switch on switch off approach for our clients, which has been very well received. And you guys are doing exactly the same thing. And well, coincidentally, we're both in staffing, but I don't know if it is a coincidence, really, we're just reading the market. Um, so as a startup CEO, I can lean on you very temporarily. If I have a product launch next month, I need some advice on that go-to-market strategy. I can literally jump onto the platform. How does it work from there? What is my user experience? Walk me through that. The user experience today is still a bit handcrafted. Um, the platform is actually done and our team uses it, um, but we don't have clients in it yet. We will have clients in it by March. So I mean, I realize March starts on Monday, probably not Monday, but within a couple of weeks. The experience will be um, that you can come in and either identify a type of role that you're looking for or a business need or a project uh, that you're looking for. So in the case uh, you just you just uh, gave, you have a, a big product launch coming up, you're trying to figure out you know, how to get it into market. You might come in and say, wow, I need a, um, I need a product marketing manager uh, or, or it, our, our uh, network is all executive, right? So I need a head of product marketing type person to come in and give me two days a week for four weeks to do launch preparation. You might also come in and not quite be that targeted and, and just put in things like, oh, I need someone with go-to-market skills. I need someone with pricing and packaging skills. And both of those routes might take you to the same talent, but there are a couple of different ways of, of saying you need something. You can need a role, you can need a skill, you can need a project type. Our network so far is up to about 2,700 or 2,800 executives across every single functional discipline. So we have CEOs, CEO coaches, heads of HR, CFOs, heads of sales, heads of marketing, et cetera, all the way through. I think we have 14 or 15 different role types. And the, the user experience, so, so everyone is in the system, they're profiled, you put in your search criteria. It's a, it's, a, it's a very targeted search engine with filters and bars and things you can you know, drag and check. And we have algorithms that narrow down our 2,800 people to the you know, handful that'll, that'll get the job done for you. That's a very impressive number. Uh, I didn't, uh, uh, when you said 28, I thought he's surely not going to stop at 28. And then I thought you may say 2,800, but tw sorry, remind me the number again. 2,800. 2,800. Okay. Well, uh, an impressive number nevertheless. So how are we monetizing this? They're, they're ready to work people. So, you know, if you were hiring a full-time chief financial officer, you're going to spend months on that search, right? You might be recruiting people out of existing jobs. You're going to interview them five times over. You're going to have 10 other people interview them. That's very different than I need a product marketing expert to help me with a launch and I need them to start tomorrow. So we've already done a lot of that work to vet and profile the people who are in the network and they're ready to, they're ready to start. Hey, it makes so much sense because usually you don't hire people like that until you can really, really afford it. This is several years into startup life, right? That's, that's the beauty of the gig economy, right? Uh, the, you know, the same way you, you'd never hire a chauffeur full-time, but you can hop in an Uber. We, we're doing the same thing for executives. That analogy absolutely hits the nail on the head. And, you know, it's genuinely simple, which is a very consistent theme of the entrepreneurs coming out of last year. It's very, very simple. But why, why not? It's so simple. It's genius. And uh, I, I'm really buying into it already. So tell me, how is it monetized? Going on to, to your end of this. Yeah, so for the executives who are in our network, it's free, you know, free, free to join. For our clients, the CEOs uh, who are connecting with people for work, 
there are a couple of different models and we're so early stage. We're, you know, we started the company in April. We didn't open the doors uh, for people to join or start transacting until October, basically. So we have some things where a CEO will just pay a success fee for a placement. So a good example of that would be if we find you a board, a member for your board of directors, there's a, a success fee for that placement and it scales up depending on how large a company you are in terms of revenue. You know, the lowest will be a thousand or $2,000. The highest will be $25,000. Um, and we do work for companies that are at the hundred million dollar plus revenue range as well. We don't go much, much higher than that. We have a couple of public company clients, but for the most part, it's private sort of hundred million and down. So, uh, so there's some success fees for some roles. There are uh, most of our roles where what we do, since you're essentially hiring a consultant that's going to be billing you every week or every month, we actually become the billing agent for our member and we just mark the bill up 15% or so. So you just sort of pay us a little bit extra as you're using the person. And when you stop using the person, you stop paying us. We'll usually cap that as well in terms of the, the amount of fee that we'll take over time. So if you have someone working through us forever, uh, you know, one day a week, you're not necessarily paying us forever. Ultimately, we will be building subscription packages for clients as well. And I think you, the phrase you used earlier was rec tech. Uh, the thing that I sort of think of is talent as a service. And you know, someone that has a subscription to Bolster will be able to do you know, a certain number of hours of advice you know, that's included in the package uh, every month or quarter or year, as well as sort of open access to the marketplace. Now, obviously, you'd still have to hire the people you're hiring and pay them. But in terms of Bolster's fees, um, they'll be packaged into a subscription over time. Yeah, again, it makes a lot of sense. I guess you're taking a lot of conventional models that exist within the staffing industry, throwing technology into that kind of Uberization uh, of it and packaging up in a way that everyone will understand. And you've obviously got lots of willing participants on the, what would you call the CEOs and, and personnel within it? Our language is clients and members. Clients and members. Okay, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, you're obviously getting the, the buy-in from there, and I'm sure you'll be getting the buy-in from the members as well. Okay, so that's the business. Yes. I have a good understanding of the concepts here, but let's rewind a little bit. The whole reason for the podcast is talking to people crazy enough to go and start a business in the middle of an unprecedented global pandemic. So rewind all the way back to the end of 2019. You just exited a business that you run for a long, long time. Did you have a, a day off or two? <laughs> I did. I did have a little time off. And I, I personally, and, and most of my co-founders, also did some interim and fractional work, you know, some consulting, executive consulting work for other companies. So we were sort of in the space ourselves, uh, but we did take some time off for sure. Good. So it's coming to like February, March time. How far into this business plan are you at this point? We had, uh, you know, reasonably fleshed out and we were actually kind of an interesting confluence of things. Our team had been working on a few different ideas that sort of triangulated around what is now Bolster. And uh, at the same time, unbeknownst to us, a group in the U.S. called High Alpha, which is a venture studio. Uh, it's an organization that creates B2B SaaS companies for the most part that we actually know quite well. You know, I've, I've known the founder of High Alpha for, for 20 years, and I have advised a number of companies in their portfolio over time. High Alpha, along with Silicon Valley Bank as a, as a corporate partner, were also incubating a very similar idea. And in sometime in February, I got together with Scott Dorsey, who runs High, High Alpha. And I said, hey, Scott, um, you know, I've known this guy for 
years. I said, I'd love to pitch you on a few ideas that my team and I are working on just to get your reaction to them. I'm not looking for funding yet or, or anything else. So we booked a, a few hour meeting on, on Zoom and I pitched him on, you know, sort of three different related ideas. And, you know, I turned off my screen share and he turned on his screen share and he said, this is really interesting. Let me tell you about something we're working on that we're, we're trying to find a, a really experienced and, and significant founding team to take it on. So we ended up sort of putting the two things together and, and uh, getting going um, pretty rapidly after that. Our founding day was April 1, but uh, February and March was when, when we were really kind of fleshing out the model. So 1st of April is quite a memorable date. I remember that's when, you know, shit got real <laughs> in the, the age of coronavirus. But you've got this date booked in April 1st. You know that's launch date. You've worked hard. You've got an impressive founding team. But the news in the world is getting worse, right? It starts in March. We're hearing this COVID thing, but it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's over there. And then it gets a bit closer. You're like, yeah, it's still over there. But eventually it's everywhere. You know, major cities going into lockdown. I know New York City was hit majorly. Uh, was one of the first. Terrible. March and April was terrible here. So how did that sit? Because this is the one thing that we're all sharing as, as uh, 2020 founders. That thought that went through your head when it really, really got real and it was on your doorstep. How did that affect you, the rest of the team, when it came to sticking with the business plan that you had on the table? You know, what I said to everyone, um, literally in our, in our morning first meeting ever as a, as a founding team, uh, decided we were starting on April 1st. We'd signed the documents, you know, kickoff meeting. My opening words were, I think this is a great time to start a business. And I think this is a great time to start this business. And, you know, what I mean by the second part, you know, sort of this business, you know, I, I think it's sort of what we talked about early on, which is that, you know, gig economy staffing is right in line with companies' needs during a pandemic of flexibility, remote work is okay, things need to get done, you know, in a very agile and quick way. Um, but I actually think 2020 and into 2021 here is going to prove to have been a very good time to, to start a business of almost any kind. And the reason why is, um, you know, the first year of your business, of your startup, is especially in the tech world, maybe not everything, but in, in the tech world, it's frequently a build. You're not focused on selling, 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 selling. And it was a good year to have your head down building something. You know, it was a good year to not have to worry about all the revenue from your customers that stops coming in because your customers are having a terrible time of it. So I actually think, you know, not, not a bad year to have a build. And I think the other thing that's going to prove to have been really uh, sort of a hallmark of 2020 companies or 2021 companies is discipline around uh, expenses and operations. So our uh, rent line for the life of the business has been zero. Our travel and entertainment line item for the life of the business has been zero. And I think a lot of companies have figured out how to do more with less. But I think when you start a business like that, it gets imprinted into the company's DNA. And you know that doesn't mean we're never going to travel once we can travel again, and it doesn't mean that we're never going to go out for a meal, or or even that we won't have some kind of office space somewhere. But I think it's going to be different. We don't have anything to unwind. It's so true. I I kind of knew at the time it would be the best time to start a business because I knew if I didn't leave the house for twelve months that no one would notice because everyone was doing the same thing. Uh, as a founder, where we initially bootstrapped, 
I tell you, I've never lived so cheaply in my life. That was one massive silver lining of the whole thing. Uh, and just the ability to concentrate, undistracted, uh, away from normal life. I mean, it was uh, uh, easy to be distracted by the news of what was unfolding in the world. But hey, yeah, just head down working and building and not worrying about a lot of the stuff that you would during normal times. So absolutely with you uh, on that page. So at this point, let's go back a bit to the other thing that you did in 2020. So rewind back to growing the companies that you have in the past, what got you to this point and how that shaped you into the CEO that's launched this company last year. You are definitely the first one on the podcast who not only started a business in 2020, but you also wrote the book on it. Um, I'd love to find out more about the book. I did uh, write a book called Startup CEO. uh, And uh, the subtitle is A Field Guide to Scaling Your Business. And the uh, actually the first edition of the book came out several years ago, uh, but I did a, a refresh of it uh, and second edition did come out in 2020. I uh, wrote most of it at the end of 19 and the beginning of 20. And the way to think about that book is that it's, it's meant to be an instruction manual for the first time CEO. So you can read it front to back, but it's 60 or 65 chapters and each one is like how to do something how to hire people, how to fire people, how to run a board meeting, how to build a strategy deck. So you can like turn to the table of contents and find the thing you need at any moment and read six pages on it. So it's a manual. It's a a field guide. It's an instruction manual. And I, I sort of describe it as the book that I wish someone had handed me when I started a company for the first time. Uh, so that book was really a, a labor of love over the course of many, uh, many years. And, and as I said, a second edition. Uh, and it, it's gotten, you know, I think a reasonable amount of traction in the startup community, not just in the U.S., but but worldwide. And um, it, it has a lot to do with our uh, our business at Bolster because our clients are CEOs and a lot of what we try to do is help them be better CEOs. And if, if you think about the construct of, of our business, which is we help CEOs scale their teams themselves and their boards, startup CEO is really about scaling themselves. We actually have two other books coming out this year about the other two pieces of the business, scaling the team and scaling the board. So uh, we have a sequel to Startup CEO coming out in May, which is called Startup CXO, a field guide to scaling your company's critical teams. And that book uh, has my name on it as the author, but it was really written by most of my management team and co-founder group from Bolster, and then a couple of the uh, people from Return Path on my team who, who are not at Bolster. So you can think about that book as an instruction manual for how to be the leader of every department inside of a startup. So my, my longtime partner and, and CFO, Jack Sinclair, wrote 20 chapters about how to be a startup CFO. Everything from equity management to fundraising to accounting to facilities, real estate, et cetera. Uh, my longtime head of sales, Anita Absey, wrote 20 chapters about how to be a startup head of sales. Uh, everything from you know, how you evangelize in the early days to how you build a selling machine, uh, how you do commissions, how you do, uh, you name it. So the book is a compendium of those sort of 20 chapter chunks from each uh, functional area, including a few pages in each section from me, which is, hey, here's how I think about that function. Here's how I manage it. Here's, here's what I look for when I hire in it. Here's how I know my person isn't, isn't scaling, isn't working. Matt, when do you guys sleep? Honestly. You look pretty fresh to me. When did you last have a good night's sleep? No one man can do all of this, surely. 
Well, I didn't. That book was not just me. We wrote that right after we started the company. I mean, all of you. Yeah. And I, I'm glad we did that early because we couldn't do it now, uh, now that we're in the thick of the business. And then uh, the third book, which is going to come out at the end of the year, is um, a book called Startup Boards. And it's actually the second edition to a book that was published many years ago by my friend and, and longtime uh, investor, Brad Feld, that has done quite well. And in, in the book, Brad and his co-author, uh, Mahendra, in the original book, have uh, a lot of material from me in it. Uh, and we decided for the second edition uh, that the three of us are going to co-author it. So that'll come out later this year. And those three things together are hopefully really good resources for CEOs about the most important things in their lives. I can't wait to get stuck in. So here's a question. You've refreshed the book last year, the, the original book being written way back when. How much of that was relevant to 2020 versus just relevant to you starting a different type of business? Uh, it's, it's almost, it, it, it's, hopefully it's timeless and business independent. I mean, it is, it is a product of me and my experience. So it's, a, you know, probably more oriented around tech businesses and venture backed businesses and things like that. But it's not specific to the return path business or the bolster business or 2020 or 2000 anything. So it is now February 2021. We are hopefully near the end of this COVID journey. We've got vaccines being deployed across the world. The staffing industry was majorly disrupted uh, when COVID hit. It's, uh, we kind of follow people's sentiment. If people lose confidence in the market, they stop hiring. Uh, contractors will often stop. Businesses certainly don't. You know, hiring is expensive, right? It's the, it's the first major cost to be cut back. You're at a very good vantage point. You're very, very experienced. You have an amazing network around you. What's next in store for us on this path to recovery as an industry and the economy as a whole? Well, the economy as a whole, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I do think uh, there are a lot of things that are going to snap back as soon as people are, are comfortable being with other people again. You know, the restaurant business, which has been decimated, I think is going to come back same as it was, maybe even better. I think there's some other businesses that, that are infrastructural change. I, for the last 15 years, have flown 200,000 miles a year. I'm just not going to do that anymore. Um, and it doesn't mean I won't go anywhere. I, I will definitely go see my team because part of our team is in uh, other cities besides New York. I will go see customers from time to time. But um, I think we've all gotten really addicted to the efficiency of Zoom. And I think that the travel business is going to be different. I think commercial real estate is going to be different. So I think it kind of depends on, on the sector that you're thinking about. For the staffing industry, it's really hard to say. I, I mean, I, I think probably the biggest change is that, you know, forget about the debate of like, are we ever going to go to offices again or not? People are going to go to offices again. Whether every company goes back five days a week into an office or not, that's a different discussion, but people are gonna go back to offices. However, I think everyone has now figured out, in, at least in, in companies like ours, that you can work two-dimensionally on Zoom or Teams or Meet or whatever, and you can do it kind of indefinitely. And I think what that's gonna do to the staffing industry for companies like ours is it's gonna open up talent pools where most companies probably had a bias before, even if they were a remote friendly company, they probably still had a bias for hiring people in their town, in their city. And yeah, if they found extraordinary talent somewhere else, you know, maybe they would handle it. I think that is going to go away. And I think people are now going to say, my talent pool is everywhere. 
and I can connect people into this company from anywhere. Um, so I think that's going to have a pretty dramatic implication for how the staffing business works, whether it's executive recruiting or any kind of recruiting. Yeah, I think Zoom has really, really shrunk the world. And it'd be interesting to see what happens to salaries, because, for example, in the UK, the salary is around 30, 40% higher on average than what it is in the north of England. We've just hired someone in Scotland and we paid her the same exact salary as we would for someone in London. I've heard both approaches and, and I, I forget which companies, but a couple of Silicon Valley companies have like Facebook, Google, I forget, have come out really strong policies like we're going to pay people Bay Area salaries everywhere was one of them. And the other was you can live anywhere you want and we're going to adjust pay accordingly. <laughs> so um, I don't think there's a, an answer to that one yet. Well, it'd be very interesting to see. I mean, the obvious one to do would be the latter. Obviously, commercially, it makes more sense. And is it fairer? You know, if you're living in Ohio and your uh, apartment costs a fifth of what it does in the Bay Area, should you be paid the same as someone in the Bay Area? Uh, but it'd be interesting to see that kind of um, employment experiment as it unfolds. Uh, I'm not sure how the, the former would pan out. You know, what would it do to the economy over time? Would it be better for the economy if everyone in the US was paid the same or every, everyone in larger countries was, was paid the same no matter where they lived? I don't know. We'll have to see how that transpires. So, Matt, you're clearly a guy that sees stuff in front of them and uses it to your advantage. You've navigated the crisis very, very well. You've built an impressive company so far. But... We did still live through a global pandemic for the last 12 months, and we're still living through this bloody pandemic. Hopefully it won't be here for too much longer. On that, what were the biggest challenges? Those things that every day really got to you that weren't the same when you built your last company? There, there's, there's a real monotony of sitting in the same chair every day, all day. And I think that hits different people in different ways you know, if I was just thinking about one of my co-founders versus, versus me, it hasn't bothered me that much. And he can't wait to get back into an office. Like he really, really misses it. I feel like I'm getting plenty of stuff done here. I don't have to commute. I don't have to travel. It's, it's a lot more efficient, but I think there's a, a real loss that people have by not seeing each other in person. And I had a couple experiences this week around that. One, um, someone from our team is, is living in Sydney for three months because her husband has to be there for work. And, you know, there's no, uh, Sydney has no restrictions. Australia has no restrictions because they're really strict about quarantining travelers. So they show up in Australia, they have to get sequestered for 14 days, but then they're free. So she's been telling us, hey, I had a breakfast meeting with so-and-so this morning. You know, she, uh, she dialed into a Zoom meeting from a cafe and the rest of us were very jealous uh, of, of sort of that, you know, that real life tactile experience. And uh, the second thing that happened, I ended up, I was out of town last week on, on holiday vacation and decided to route myself back through Denver. So half of Bolster's team is in Denver. And I, for the most part, I haven't seen a single one of those people in person since we started the company. And some of them I hadn't seen in years. And I just sat and had lunch with them outside. And I got so much energy out of that experience and out of that human contact and out of having side conversations and chit chat and not, and things that weren't like 100% focused, you know, tunnel vision, like you get with these, you know, 20, 30 minute zoom meetings. So I think that's been the, the biggest challenge for, for organizations, you know, at the beginning, no problem. You can lift and shift an existing culture and business process and relationships onto zoom for some period of time, but you can't really do that forever. It's hard to weave new people into it. 
you know, there, there's no there's no substitute for for the proverbial water cooler conversation. Yeah, and if I'm honest, I'm looking at companies like Spotify who are going remote now. Everyone has worked from anywhere. And I just don't know how sustainable that is as a model, because even when it comes down to employee welfare, I can look you in the eye over this Zoom call that we're on now. And I could see if you appear happy or sad, Matt. Right now you seem quite happy, so that's good. But it's a Zoom call. Even if you are sad, if something's going on, you're generally going to put your Zoom face on, right? You're at work, it's professional. However, if it was near the water cooler, or if you and I are are going to jump in the elevator and I know you and you're my work buddy. That human intuition is what will often ask me to prompt me to ask someone, are, are you actually okay? It's not just that, it's the thoughts and feelings and the collaboration and human raw instinct and emotion that drives businesses and drives the economy. The reason why the stock markets go up and down like that is because of people's thoughts and feelings. And I just don't know how scalable that is. How do you think that will sit with you guys as you scale up from now? I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. Um, you know, we have an, uh, one, one of the unusual things about us is most of the people in the company have known each other for years. Um, we are now hiring people in um, from the outside who, who are unknown to us. So, uh, so that's starting to shift a little bit. But I, I would say we are highly likely to have some sort of place to go in New York City and in Denver which are our two main pockets of employees. Uh, and, and we may be highly likely to have a place to go in both of those cities as soon as we can. I would also say we are highly unlikely to have big offices where we sign a fixed lease where people go five days a week. So um, I don't know what shape it's going to take. We may be borrowing space. We're a startup. We're scrappy too, right? So we may be borrowing space. We may do a sublet. We may do a, uh, you know, some sort of co-working thing. Uh, we may not do anything. We may just go in, decide to go in one day a week and rent something one day a week. But I think we will, as soon as we can, have something uh, in both places. But it's not going to be what it would have been before. Yeah, we're the same. I do miss humans. You know, I'm used to this Zoom thing. I've been doing it for years now, but I, I really miss seeing humans um, and leaving the house. I, I really do miss it. I'm like your co-founder in that regard. I'd say one thing that's been absolutely fascinating in every conversation that I've had on the podcast is a lot of first-time founders talking about raising millions and millions of dollars over Zoom. And that's got to be kind of unprecedented. In all of the money that you've raised previously, had you ever raised... A, a dollar without actually looking someone in the eye and shaking their hand. No. And, and, you know, again, this is one where we may be a little unusual because uh, many of our investors are people who invested in our previous company who we've known for a long time, but our, our principal two investors, high alpha and Silicon Valley bank, even though we, we sort of knew them a little bit, we had never raised money from either one and hundred percent over zoom. Do you think it's uh, for the better or for the worse? Uh, you know, I think that's one of those too soon to tell things. You know, do I think you actually have to fly across the country to Silicon Valley and stand up in front of a room full of people to tell them what your business is about and have them evaluate its prospects? No, probably not. But is there, you know, something that's a little bit nice about the formality? Are there things, you know, to your earlier point about, you know, you get in the elevator, you can see someone's body language. Are there things that, uh, you know, an investment committee of a venture capital or private equity firm would get from seeing you in person that they don't get from seeing you on Zoom? Probably. I don't know if it's going to affect people's long-term returns on businesses, but, um, but it, you know, it's going to be different. 
Yeah, you kind of mirrored my thoughts on it. So I've often spoken about, I actually think raising money over Zoom is very, very efficient. And I think people actually are a lot more diligent. You know, if I'm giving you a few million quid or dollars, which I don't have, by the way, Matt, so I'm, I'm not going to give it to you. But if I did, and I was investing in Bolster uh, over Zoom, and I'd never met you and I'd never shaken your hand, I'd be really doing my homework. I'd be ultra, ultra diligent because I can't go on gut instinct. I can't kind of look you in the eye and gauge that feeling of, of being person to person. So I think a lot of investment decisions have been wisely made because of the research that's happened. But because it's more clinical, is the relationship part of it going to suffer over the years ahead? So when the investee needs to lean on that investor a bit more in a human way, you know, in that kind of advisory way, will that relationship not be quite the same because it never started the way that relationships used to, you know? It's a good question. I mean, look, I think one of the things we're going to find is that um, board meetings are going to be different. Uh, and I think that the, you know, the days of all of your directors showing up in person, whether they're in town or not in town, like for, for four board meetings a year or six board meetings a year, I think that's done. Um, I think CEOs are going to have to insist that everyone show up in person together at the same time, at least once a year. But I think otherwise, one of the things that I think VCs have gotten addicted to is not getting on planes. It's not, it's not efficient. It's not an efficient way of conducting business. And, uh, you know, I think they'll still do it, but it's not going to be every time. So CEOs are going to have to really coordinate that to make sure that they do get some in-person time with their most important advisors. It becomes a luxury rather than a necessity, you know. And hey, if everyone has to be in the same room once a year, then that's your company offsite. You clean two birds with one stone. You save some cash as well. Um, Matt, you're in a good position now. You've got a very impressive number of clients. The members are about to be slotted into that mix. What's next for Bolster? Years one, years two, years three. That's a good question. Uh, you know, look, year one was the build. Um, although we have you know, been making hundreds of batches already and generating some revenue, but year one was, you know, principally the build. I think year two is the year that we kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work, figure out exactly what that model is. And we're trying lots of different things, right? So we're this open marketplace. You can find talent to do different things, but we're also trying to productize the service of hiring someone or the, the service of the engagement. We're trying to productize that in a bunch of ways that I don't think people have done before. So, you know, we have some things coming out, which actually we haven't really talked about publicly at all, but I don't, I don't, don't mind sharing. One, for example, is called Bolster Bytes. Bolster Bytes is going to be a place where one of our clients can ask one of our members for a free 30-minute expert consultation on something. You know, that's kind of a new way of doing business. That should be part of our subscription pricing somehow, but we don't really know how it's going to take root yet. We're starting another thing uh, that we're calling Bolster Prime which is like an all access pass to talent as a CEO. Like we're going to get you from your series A to your series B and we're going to throw all the resources we can at it from every, you know, every different area of the business, whatever you need. So I think that, you know, sort of year two is going to be figuring out what the formula is for productizing service. Um, beyond that, it's really hard to say. I mean, we, we get a lot of questions and a lot of pull from clients to start doing full-time executive search. That's a really different business than what we're doing today. You know, for, for, every, for every member we have today, if we say for argument's sake, we have the right ratio of members and clients to fill these sort of spot needs, you know, we would need 10 times as many members 
to do full-time executive search because people stay in jobs for years, but consultants can do three jobs at a time and they turn over every quarter. So I don't know if that's going to be you know part of the roadmap or not. And I wouldn't even hazard a guess at year three. I feel you on that. We went, we're in a very, very similar sphere and we're almost following um, a parallel path there. You know, our businesses aren't the same, but we're both within the staffing industry. We're both trying to productize stuff. We're both trying to be more flexible and, you know, I guess embrace the gig economy in, in some ways. But because it's so new and we're challenging an industry that is pretty traditional, we've got to go out with quite a, you know, a wide product offering and, and be experimental and really listen to the market. Um, we had to wind it back really quickly. We went out with too many products and, and trying to do too much. And in a very short space of time, we, we've narrowed it down to just a few. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're following similar trajectories there. And I look forward to uh, always comparing notes with you over the, uh, over the next few months and can't wait to see Bolster grow, as I'm sure it will do. So before we sign off, you've been an amazing guest. You're a very, very wise guest as well. Matt, what are the final words of wisdom for all those budding entrepreneurs out there? The thing that never ceases to amaze me about being an entrepreneur that you just, you can't be trained for, you have to be ready for, is not just how high the highs are and how low the lows are, but sometimes they show up together. Absolutely. Paradoxical. Well, Matt, thank you so much. That was a very enjoyable conversation. Hey, it was re- really nice to, uh, to connect with you and uh, look forward to, uh, to see how it goes. Take care. Well, a massive thank you to Matt. That was a very, very interesting episode and a very, very interesting guy. And I'm going to stop saying the word interesting now. But hey, amazing to see someone so passionate about entrepreneurship that him and his team are literally writing the book on it as they're building their own tech startup. I find it astonishing and I can't wait to get stuck into those books. If you want to check out Matt's original book, it's called The Startup CEO, A Field Guide, and that's Matt Bloomberg, spelled B-L-U-M-B-E-R-G. You can get it on Amazon, hardcover, Kindle edition, anything you want or wherever you get your books. And Bolster, great name by the way. I didn't ask him how he came up with such a good name, but check out Bolster, uh, bolster.com. And I can't wait to watch him on his path to greatness. He's doing something within a part of the industry that is quite traditionally led but uh, they've done amazing so far they've got massive buy-in and i'm sure it's going to be a roaring success and uh, everyone do check out bolster and his linkedin page join us this time next week for another 2020 entrepreneur we shall not disappoint